Today we begin a general letter to the churches from Peter, a person whose life made a huge impact for God. Peter, of course, is well known in the Gospels as a vocal and earnest follower of Jesus. His brother Andrew introduced him to the Lord, and they both left the fishing business to join Jesus in his itinerant ministry around Galilee. Peter displayed strong leadership skills and was the first of the disciples to recognize and proclaim Jesus as Messiah. Jesus changed Peter's name from Cephas to Peter, which, names rock, which means rock, saying he would be a foundational person upon which Jesus would build the church. Now, Peter showed at once great faith in walking on the water with Jesus and also a complete lack of wisdom in rebuking Jesus for talking about his death. He was zealous in insisting how he would never, ever leave Jesus, even if it meant he had to die with him. And when the time came, Peter fled in fear and denied that he knew Jesus. After the resurrection, he was lovingly restored by Christ and became a primary leader formed at Pentecost of the church, where 3,000 were saved in one day because of the message that Peter preached. And as the church struggled to figure out what it was and who it was for, Peter received a vision from God about how the gospel was meant for all people. And he was called to spread the gospel outside Judaism. He had a ministry in Rome until he was martyred for his faith around AD 64. And this letter was probably written just a few years before that. And in his life, we see the arc of how a person comes to know Jesus and becomes a mature believer whose life then impacts others in powerful ways. His letter is loving and warm, written not simply for one church, but addressed mostly, like I said, to Gentile believers in an area that covers the whole of Asia Minor, which is today modern-day Turkey. This would have been a diverse population in terms of language and customs and religion and history and ethnic roots. And also it covered a lot of geographical ground. Peter is writing from Rome, which he calls Babylon, using that term metaphorically as the Old Testament prophets did to express how it was a place opposed to God and God's people. This was probably a circular letter, meaning that it went to many different places. There's nothing here that Peter is really correcting. Peter learned that the believers were facing harassment and persecution in various ways, so this is to support them. In this letter, the second coming of Jesus is emphasized. As we might remember, the early church believed that Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. It emphasizes holy living. We have called this perseverance in faith because Peter talks a lot about suffering and how Jesus' life can help the church to bear witness to the grace of God no matter what it is that they face. Author and pastor Warren Wiersbe wrote this. Peter is preeminently the apostle of hope while Paul is the apostle of faith and John, the apostle of love. So we're going to see a lot of hope in our study before Advent in these 12 weeks. Today we are reading the first nine verses of chapter one. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, 
to the exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen and destined by God the Father and sanctified by the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in abundance. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you have had to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, that though perishable is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. For you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let us pray. Lord, your promises for us, for your church, throughout all time and in all places are real. You are here you have been speaking to us. You want to continue to speak to us through your inspired and holy and good word. So help us. Help us, Lord, to listen, to receive, and to obey. Amen. Let's begin with the first two verses. Um, Peter identifies himself as an apostle of Jesus, a role that he was sent out to share the gospel as one who followed Christ and walked with him. As we talked about, this letter is sent out to the exiles in Asia Minor. It isn't exactly clear what is meant here by exiles. Most scholars agree that it probably means a group of people from the slave class or the lower class who are forced from their homes or their livelihood or something about their life and scattered due to lots of factors, including their faith. They are social outcasts or they are disenfranchised or marginalized in some way. Later, Peter is going to use metaphorical language about how Christians are strangers on this earth, which also could be part of the language here. What we might focus in on is how these people um, are estranged in some way and alone. They're feeling, the believers are feeling alone. Exile is a very strong word. Whatever is happening, they are out of place. And Peter is writing to remind them how much they matter to God. Notice the rich Trinitarian language in these first few verses. Chosen, destined by the Father, sanctified by the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus, sprinkled by his blood. Chosen, destined, sanctified, sprinkled. This is a sermon all on its own. Do you know that you are chosen by God? Do you know that you are destined by the Lord to receive his grace. Do you have the experience of the Holy Spirit sanctifying you? That's old time free Methodist language. That word means, have you experienced a change, a transformation that we've been talking about all morning? Are you being made more like God in love and in truth? 
We know we're cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Sometimes that's all we focus in on. But how much do you think about these other words? God has chosen you. He has designed you to know him. God is making us holy. We don't make ourselves better. We don't draw near to God on our own. With these opening words, Peter is including those who are not Jewish into Christ's family, but using that kind of language. These are words of promise. Peter was raised with these words, with this identity. But those who are grafted on need to hear it also. Those who are separated out for some reason, they need to know that they also are in a solid place in God's heart and in God's family. This is a strong opening to a letter where Peter is bringing words of assurance. Even if you didn't know anything about Peter, if you didn't know anything about what was going on or the author, you would know a little bit about this person's heart and what the writer wanted the readers to know and to live into. So what of those words do you need today? You've been lovingly chosen by the Lord to live with him and for him. The spirit is making you holy, is designed you for obedience, cleansed you by the blood of Jesus. Everyone is indeed welcomed and included to know him. These people may be cut off from something that they had before, but they are dear. They are dear to the Lord. We focus next on the next uh, three to nine verses as we do. We also want to acknowledge how beautiful and uplifting these verses are. In the Greek, this is actually a run-on sentence, but we should print it and put it out where we can see it every day because these are words of assurance that Christians in every age need to hear. And there are two main ideas I want us to think about. The first is that this is a passage about focus. Where is your focus right now in your life? Because of God's mercy, Peter says, we have been given a new birth into a living hope. And this week I was thinking, what is the opposite of living hope? Dying cynicism? Oh, no one ever says you're destined for dying cynicism. No one ever says that. And if they do, run from them. Ailing despair, we could go with either here. Peter is reminding the church, Jesus is your living hope. Jesus is incarnate in the world through those who love him. I had a day this week, I was surprisingly plunged into a dark abyss. I don't know how I got there. All of a sudden, it was just happened. I know you've been there. Came out of the blue because of some sadness that I experienced and I was not ready for it. And my family was like, whoa, giving me wide birth and grace. It's not pretty when a pastor flips into darkness, but it happens. And as I was reading this, it made me remember that there are people who live with that level of anguish every day. And we think about how difficult it is to live with chronic physical pain and how it wears on the soul. But there are people who are living without hope every single day and for whom darkness is normative. They don't have hope. We can see the effects of that. But imagine the pain that people live with every day and how then that pain becomes their focus. Maybe it's your focus. 
And then we think about how so often we concentrate as people on what we don't have. We think a lot about money. We stress about time. We're overwhelmed by transitions and life and what we look like and what other people think about us. And Jesus tells us, don't worry about what you're going to drink or eat or what you're going to wear. But we do. We focus on our phones and social media and what we want to watch. We focus on what we have and where we live and everything we experience here and what's on our bucket list and lots of things which just aren't going to matter in the long run. And sometimes we really focus on our suffering, on who hurt us, on what is physically wrong, on our long-term griefs, what causes us pain, what we've lost and what we wish were different or back to what we wanted Peter is going to remind us again and again in this letter that even though there is suffering, there's a point to it. And here it is so the genuineness of our faith being tested by fire may result in praise and honor to Christ when he comes again. If we're honest, and this is the place for that, we don't always want to hear that our suffering has a purpose. As a young pastor, I had someone take me to task for praying that God would be glorified in their pain. That was not their hope. <laughs> they wanted an end to the pain that instant, and they were angry at my prayer. But asking God to be honored in our lives through our suffering is part of the privilege and the responsibility in knowing Jesus. All of us suffer, suffer, and Peter is saying, here, there is a purpose that our faith would be refined. It isn't as though God doesn't care about our sorrows. He meets us in our sorrows and then asks us to have faith and meet him there so that we might know his plan for us in it. What is the main focus right now in your heart and in your life? Usually it's ourselves. But think about where Peter is telling us to focus. Focus, he says, on the mercy that you have received, on the living hope that Jesus is, on Jesus' return, on the inheritance that never can be destroyed, on your faith, which is more precious and valuable than gold in the sight of God. Focus on your love for the Lord and the joy that comes from knowing him. Peter acknowledges that they're suffering in various trials, but those are designed to help us think about how our faith may grow in the hardship and how that growth might bring glory to God. And that is where Peter would have us focus. Second, this is about belonging. I feel like we've been talking a lot about belonging this summer those who have faced painful circumstances that have led to exile in whatever ways needed to hear these words. Peter is offering them stability. He's offering stability to those who were thrust into a space they didn't want, where perhaps little seems familiar to them. All of us have been in those places for whatever reason, where we were not welcomed by whatever was going on, by whoever was there. All of us have known grief when our place of belonging disappeared and we found ourselves in darkness and couldn't find our way. 
Peter's message here at the beginning of the letter is about everything that God has done to ensure that when you and everyone experiences unimaginable hardship, that you know no matter what, you have a place with the Lord. That's Peter's message here. That is what salvation is, that you have a place of belonging with the Lord. We've been given a new hope into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ, a new birth who raised from the dead. Our inheritance is eternity with the one who made us and rescued us from the pit. There is a place being kept in heaven for you. There is a place right now being kept in heaven for you. Jesus said that. And that means that as long as you are on earth, God holds on to you. Peter reminds believers in verse 5 how those who have new life in Christ are protected. That's the power of God through their faith. Where we feel that we belong or the places we feel we don't belong can be subjective. And praise God, we don't live our life just by our feelings. But those feelings are also quite real. We look to the church and we think, oh, yes, that is going to be the ultimate place for us because it's all about love and being part of the same body and forgiveness and pulling in the same direction of the kingdom of God with one another. Yet even for the promise of belonging that the church offers, the church can be a difficult place. People have left the church or become disconnected because they didn't feel welcomed or they were judged or they were abused or they were controlled or they were deeply wounded with no recourse. They never quite felt like they fit in. But Peter's words are also here for the responsibility believers bear. We think how many people lost their faith in God when they felt like they didn't belong. How often have people abandoned the Lord altogether when the church was not what they wanted it to be or they were offended by a part of the body that disappointed them or they didn't agree with? Peter reminds us, Jesus is going to come back and then our faith will be revealed for what it is. So let's think again from these words about how our lives are first about God Peter blesses the Lord and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is merciful. God has given the world a chance to have new birth. Jesus is our living hope, who has promised an inheritance. God protects all who suffer and are leading the world to a specific end where we will meet him face to face. God has done everything so that we can belong to him, so that we know we belong to him. These words are about God, but it's also about our faith. How we trust God when we're persecuted. How we trust God when we are hurt. How we trust God when we suffer. When the church is not what it should be or what we want it to be, which is every single day. And what ties all of this together, praise the Lord, is verses 8 and 9. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy, for you are receiving the salvation of your faith, the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is where it comes together. This is where our faith in God and his work in us helps us to receive the salvation he promises. 
The language is so compelling. Even though you haven't seen him and Peter has seen him, you love him. Even though the world brings suffering and you can't always see where God is, you believe. And although God's people face rough things, things that are hard to take, we still try and find trust. And this brings incredible joy. It is this belonging in Jesus that brings us fulfillment because nobody can take that away. Our actions, our participation in the body of Christ, our strong opinions, our struggles in this life, our deconstruction, and the building back up of our faith comes back to one place always, Jesus. I read this week how 1 Peter is about gaining wisdom so the church would be taught how to suffer well. A lesson that all of us could take to heart in these days in which we live. Suffering is inevitable in the world, but it's also very much part of the faith that we have in Christ. What will we do with our suffering? What do we do when we lose our focus and place of belonging and can't find our way? Peter would remind us today of the overwhelming love of God that gives us what we need to persevere he would tell us that our salvation matters in these conversations because what Christ has done gives us strength and hope for what we go through. Peter understood firsthand how Jesus meets us in our immaturity, meets us in our mistakes and in our impulsivity, in our sorrows and our fear and our sin and the evil that we face and then changes us and makes us more like him. Knowing Jesus shows us who we are, it gives us our focus. He gives us our sense of belonging. So let us seek the Lord for what he would say to us through his word. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.